Okay, so we're continuing our discussion of Jack the Ripper Part 2. We've gone through all the victims in Part 1, so if you're not listening to that one, well, actually, the five known victims, because there are definitely more. We believe there's more, and and we're not the only. Yeah, I think definitely one before the first victim was recognized as you know, a serial killer. But what do you think so far about the case? Did you know all these details and about the women? I knew some of them, but I haven't really looked into this Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And Sherry doesn't tell me the cases, and I don't read them because I like to be surprised just like y'all have Mm -hmm. been. But I do believe there was more than just those, those women. Now, and the last one was so bad if you listened to the first. Oh, it was awful. And again, you can find the mortuary photos and even the crime scene photo that shows just the devastating brutality of the last victim. I it's mean, it escalated. Was, it was awful. Okay. But we do both think he was young. Yeah, I, I would say probably in his strong. 20s or 30s, maybe yeah. even 40s, but he had to be strong. And attractive. And definitely normal looking or attractive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm kind of wondering if he promised a lot of money. To get the the ladies, you know, duped. To, yeah. Because yeah. they obviously that they needed money. they couldn't turn down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that means he could maybe be average. But no uh, detail of the man who was spotted three times, as far as we know. Um, and one only got a good look at him. And he it looked was her, back at him yeah. stern. Uh, they didn't have like anything they said where he you know had any features that stood out or anything he probably just looked like an average looking person now they called this the autumn of terror and at the time hundreds of letters were sent to the police and the local press claiming to be written by the killer most were deemed fakes and to this day ripperologists say they were all fakes but i'm of the mind three were legit you really why mm-hmm. uh well i'll get you Oh, is that another question too early? Into, I'm going to explain again. Uh, I have not seen any of this, so I'm asking questions a little bit early. So I'm going to bring up a picture of the letters so that you can see. Uh, here they are. So this is um, the Dear Boss letter. So there's three that I think are legit. The Dear Boss, the Saucy Jack postcard, and possibly the From Hell letter. I'm not sure on that one. I didn't dig into like handwriting comparisons, etc. Because you could literally, this is another case like the Black Dahlia. You'll get lost. Like you'll spend months, if not years, too many digging theories. around. Yeah. Well, there's just too much information. And information. Um. So, but I feel the letters are important because if the letters, even one letter, is from the killer, we know he could read and write. That tells educated, mm-hmm. probably from a wealthy family well i was surprised though because i wanted to confirm my thoughts i was surprised to learn that back at the time um literacy was actually between 60 and 80 percent so that was a higher number than i thought but we do know that men you know obviously um usually were more educated than women uh but the boss's letter so i want to read it i'm gonna read exactly how it's written i want to get your thoughts Okay, so this was received on September 27th, 1888 at the Central News Agency. So again, these killers go to news people. This letter was originally believed to be just another hoax. Three days later, the double murder of Stride and E. Dow's made them reconsider, especially once they learned a portion of the latter, so E. E. Dow's earlobe was found cut off from the body, 
eerily reminiscent of the promise made within the letter. Oh. So the police deemed the Dear Boss letter important enough to reproduce in newspapers and post bills of the time, hoping someone would recognize the handwriting. Uh, then a postcard was received at the Central News Agency on October 1st, making direct reference to both the murders and the Dear Boss letter. And it appears to me it was written in the same hand, but I'm definitely not a you know handwriting specialist. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the Dear Boss says, Dear Boss, I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the underlined right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores, and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with funny little games. I saved some of the proper underlined red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha ha. The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ear off and send to the police officers just for jolly, wouldn't you? Keep this letter back till I do more work, then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp, I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Ha ha. Wow. And, actually, and he named himself. Yes, which is That's typical of these guys. Right? Because it's a smart name. BTK, right. he w- proposed several names. Yeah, he wanted them to pick one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you see that. You see that wow. with these serial killers. So they want to be named. They want... You know, to be infamous. Wow. So that was interesting. Well, this definitely is. So one reason to answer your question that I think this might be a letter from the killer is the naming of himself. That's very common. Mm -hmm. You can hear his arrogance, his ego, and his disdain in the letter. He's taunting the police. And he spells good. Educated for sure. Yes. Wow. So, again, the saucy Jack postcard is right here and again this was received october 1st the handwriting is similar to the dear boss and again it makes a direct reference to that letter and the murder murders of the previous night those who believe it to be genuine argue that the removal of edow's ear and the fact that the postcard mentions a double event before it was described by the press both testify to its authenticity Others believe it was a um, hoax, and they just gleaned details from the previous letter. I think it's legit. So it says, I was not cotting dear old boss when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jackie's work. Tomorrow, double event, this time, number one, squilled a bit, but couldn't finish straight off. Ha, not the time to get ears for police. Thanks for keeping last letter back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper. Well, what's the Saucy Jackie's work? Him too. Mm-hmm. I think he's so calling he's him Saucy Jack. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, in this one, the spelling is good, just like in the first uh, letter. The punctuation isn't. He mentioned a double event, which did occur, and it mentions cutting ears, which he did do. So I think these two 
are definitely from the killer. I do too. Sounds like it. Now, the from hell letter, though, is different to me. The handwriting is different. Oh, that looks way different. See that? It's not as hard pressed. It's bigger. And also, the spelling is atrocious. Okay. So, on uh, October 16th, George Lusk, the president of the White Chapel Vigilance Committee, received a three-inch square cardboard box in his mail. Inside was half a human kidney preserved in wine, along with the following letter. Medical reports carried out by Dr. Openshaw found the kidney to be very similar to the one removed from Catherine Edow's, though his findings were inconclusive. Like, I don't know how you could for sure know it was the kidney of one of the victims, right? But that's the reason I think this might have been from him as well, but he changed things up. So I'm going to read it. But the writing doesn't even look like. It's a little bit, but it's more like tall. Yeah, it's bigger, tall. more flourish. Uh, like he's mad. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't know if it's emotion coming out in the writing, because the writing is similar as far as the cursive, but there's definitely, it's deeper, it's bigger, it's taller. And it's not signed. no. And then, well, it is signed, by, actually. Not by, not Jack the Ripper. But the spelling is atrocious. So it oh. says, from hell, Mr. Lusk, sore, instead of sir, oh. I send you half the kidney, missing the Y, I took from one woman and preserved it for you, tother piece I fried and ate. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody niff that took it out if you only wait a while longer. So... Um, preserved is P-R-A-S-A-R-V-E-D. Nice has an S in there instead of a C. Knife is missing the E, and weight is misspelled as well uh-huh. as while. Signed, catch me when you can, Mr. M-I-S-H-T-E-R, Lusk. Okay, so the reason I'm not sure if this is from him, number one, we do know that the kidney scent was preserved in wine, but was that public knowledge, and so was a kidney taken from someone else? I know. I don't think it's from Jack the Ripper. Two, the spelling is awful. Right. But did he do that to throw off the police? Well, if he was going to do that to throw off the police, why did he wait until the third correspondence? Yeah, I don't think he would wait. The the, the Jack the Ripper <clears throat> was sort of arrogant and proud, mm-hmm. and a lot of the details were in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. So, but not all but of where them. the kidney was. What or, if he took a pig's kidney? I know that's because what I'm saying. Because pigs are very similar to, to humans. humans. That's why they test on them right. or used to. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to say no. So it's not the, his letter. The from hell, I would say I'm maybe twenty percent possible from him, but I'm I'm definitely of the mind that the first two are, but not this yeah, one. Yeah, because Jack the Ripper was very proud of his work, but and he didn't misspell words and. But again, if he's trying to throw off the police, but, but that doesn't make sense. To? Yeah. So here's what I and he's from, arrogant from the letters. We see a person with an education, able to articulate thoughts clearly and concisely, a killer with an obvious ego and mm-hmm. arrogance on his ability to evade capture, <clears throat> which he did. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. A disdain for police and those investigating the police. And a love for his work. See, that's what's really hard for normal people to understand. These people like it. They oh, yeah, they love like what it. they do. They yes. can sleep at night 
perfectly. With no yes. problems. But his ego, Jack the Ripper's ego, was so big. I don't think this sloppiness on this this last postcard would, would be, be his. Him? No. The reason I'm pointing these things out uh, from the start is the police, press, and public determined that the killer had to be some insane, drooling, an incoherent monster that had a break from reality with the last killing and that he probably committed suicide. In other words, he was the boogeyman. No, I don't think so. Like, you can look up one newspaper article and it literally has a boogeyman posing as Jack the Ripper. So, just because his crimes were gruesome doesn't mean he was suffering from insanity or no, any mental illness, no. actually. He might have just been a psychopathic sexual sadist. And as we know, newspaper articles aren't always right. 100% correct. It's their opinion sometimes, even cases we've done before. Well, the Scott Peterson case mm-hmm. was ran by the media as well. Mm-hmm. I think he's guilty of sin. Yeah, uh, once the I dog do was explained, I was good. Um, but he took pleasure, obviously, in terrorizing mm-hmm. his victims. He took pleasure in mutilation, which is actually a fetish. It's actually a thing. Um, and he also wanted to terrorize the community. Well, he did all all of that. Mm-hmm. And I think also his victims were objects of curiosity and pleasure for him. I don't think he viewed them as humans, which they say killers don't. Like the last one, though, obviously he did not. Right. They're objects to possess and do what they want. Like Ted Bundy, he didn't see them as humans. He saw them as objects that he could possess, just like he wanted to possess riches, etc. So... This is not some drooling, insane no. guy, which is going to be important when we get to the suspects. Okay, can you pull up, because um, I thought I had him. I want you to see a picture. I'm going to spell the name. Montag John Druid. No. Okay, go ahead. M-O-N-T-A-G-U-E. And then John. Mm-hmm. And then Druid. D-R-U-I-T-T. This was the top suspect. So if you can pull up his picture so you can see him. This looks like an actor. He died in 19... Let me see him. All right, right here. Yes, yes. He's a handsome man. He is handsome. For you back in the day, right? The hair being parted down the middle and slicked straight well, down nice. is a little weird. But, okay. He was an Oxford-educated man from a fairly good family. Some suggested that he was sexually insane, whatever that means. He was born in Wimborne Minister, Dorset, and worked as an assistant schoolmaster in Blackheath, London. He lived a few miles away from Whitechapel on the other side of the, is it Thames? Mm-hmm. And was often seen in the area. But here's the deal. There was not any concrete evidence Mm-mm. on this man. The only reason I could find that he was a suspect is that he killed himself and the murder stopped. Mm-hmm. In so, 1988. Oh. 1888. His I mean, body 1888. Was, his body was found floating in the Thames November 9th, 1888. He had been at the bottom of the river for several weeks, placing his death around the time of the last murder. He was 41. I don't know. I don't... I, by that letter, I wouldn't think he would kill himself. Do you? No. Unless, by the letter and his confidence, his caught. narcissist, and yeah. his... If he was caught... He I think probably he would. would have to control the narrative. Like, Israel, Israel Keys. Israel Keys, yeah. Okay, now look at the next one. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Carl, mm-hmm. C-A-R-L, mm-hmm. Feigenbaum, F-E-I-G-E-N-B-A-U-M. 
Now, this one seems like a viable suspect to me. So let me know when you have them up because I want to refresh my memory. Yes. Okay. That's just a drawing. And that's um, what they think he might have looked looked like. So he was a 54-year-old German merchant sailor and a known psychopath who confessed to mutilating women. His own lawyer thought he was the Ripper. He was known to be working as a merchant on ships docked near Whitechapel. In fact, records indicated he was docked on every single date of the murders. Really? And he and his co-workers were seen at the nearby brothels often. He eventually immigrated to America around 1890, which is interesting because the murders Look, stopped. Mm-hmm. Military? I guess. I don't know. I mean, he's a German merchant seller, so probably so. But did you hear that? So I did. he he was around Whitechapel. He docked every single date on the murders. They were seen at the brothels often with his co-workers. And he eventually immigrated to America in 1890. And hmm. was convicted of murdering a woman named Juliana Hoffman. He died in the electric chair. Some say... There uh, were striking similarities to the murder, but I didn't see anything that was actually striking. Of the Which murder, I'm read. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, but I thought, let me wait. Yeah. So <laughs> I do think it's interesting that the murder stopped, though, mm-hmm. and he immigrated to America. Now that's interesting. And to he me. was in the area every to every, every time. murder. Yeah. Okay. So and he was a psychopath. Known. This is from the same website that I gave you guys. Mm-hmm. And you want to pre- repeat it again? Uh, not really, because all the dashes, but I will. Oh. Jack-the-ripper.org. There you go. Okay. So they don't have to go back to number one. Part to get one. Right. Okay, so I'm going to read directly from there. Like many poor families at the time, the Hoffmans decided to supplement the meager income that Michael brought in by renting out one of their rooms. And as it transpired, unfortunately for them, their first lodger just happened to be Carl Feigenbaum who moved in with them towards the end of August 1894. Feigenbaum told the Hoffmans that he had lost his job as a gardener and that he therefore had no money. However, he assured them that he had been promised a job as a florist and that once he was paid on September, or Saturday, 1st of September 1894, he would then be able to pay them the rent that he owed. The Hoffmans took him at his word, a trust that would prove fatal for Mrs. Hoffman. As a consequence of of their having a lodger who was given the rear of the two rooms, mother and son shared the front room, Juliana sleeping in the bed and Michael occupying a couch at the foot of her bed. Shortly after midnight in the early hours, the 1st of September, 1894, Michael was woken by a scream and looking across his mother's bed, he saw their lodger leaning over her brandishing a knife. Michael lunged at Uh, Feigenbaum, who turned around and came at him with a knife. Realizing that he would not be any match against an armed man, Michael escaped out of a window and began screaming for help. Looking through the window, Michael watched in horror as Feigenbaum stabbed his mother in the neck and then cut her throat, severing the jugular. Juliana made one final attempt to defend herself and advanced towards the attacker, but she collapsed and fell to the floor. Feigenbaum then returned to his room, escaped out the window, and climbed down into the yard, washed his hands at the pump, and then he made his way out into the alley that led to the street. 
Meanwhile, a policeman and several other locals had been alerted to the unfolding murder by Michael's cries. And as Feigenbaum emerged from the alley, he was spotted by the assembling crowd. He attempted to make a run for it, but was quickly caught and was then taken back to the Hoffman's rooms where Michael identified him as the man who had attacked his mother. Charged with murder at the police station, Feigenbaum claimed he was innocent of the murder and said that it had, in fact, been carried out by a man named Jacob Weibel, whom he let sneak into his room to sleep that night. No one what? believed the unconventional story. Jacob Weibel? Weibel. W-E-I-B-E-L. So he was charged with killing her. The trial began on October 26, 1894, it had transpired that the possible motive for the murder was he had attempted to steal money that Mrs. Hoffman kept in the cupboard in her room, but she woke up and caught him in the act. In the interim, it also transpired that the name uh, Carl Feigenbaum was, in fact, an alias, and that his real name was probably Anton Lawn. Oh. Albeit the newspapers continuously referred to him under his alias as opposed to using his real name. Okay, now this is interesting. So, I mean, there is kind of similarity in cutting her throat, right? And her jugular, and she bled out. The son is in the room, which is awfully, you know, like he probably was going to kill him too. But it is kind of similar in the throat cut. And would he have mutilated the body if he had had time? So, he might be actually more closer to a suspect than... Yeah, but he's smart enough, though. He's very smart. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he letter. is smart. Yeah. But to li- this have somebody is. else in there? Yeah. To have someone else in there, I don't know. Well, that could be the brazen of it. I mean, if he's already mm-hmm. killed two women in one night. Yeah, but he, he likes to take time. Maybe, but he might have planned on killing the son, too. I don't know. Um, Now, he did confess a week later. It was on Sunday, May 10th, 1896. Uh, The Lloyd's Weekly newspaper published a more detailed account of the confession, which had been made by his lawyer. But Carl Feigenbaum was executed in the electric chair at Sing Sing last week. And here is some of the, the confession to his lawyer, okay? I have a statement to make which may throw some light on the murder for which the man I represented was accused or executed. Now that Feigenbaum is dead and nothing more can be done for him in this world, I want to say as his counsel that I am absolutely sure of his guilt in this case and I feel morally certain that he is a man who committed many, if not all, of the Whitechapel murders. What do you think? He says, here are my reasons. And on this statement, I pledge my honor. When Feigenbaum was in the tombs awaiting trial, I saw him several times. The evidence in his case seemed so clear that I cast out any theory of insanity. Certain actions denoted a decided decided mental weakness somewhere. But when I asked him point blank, did you kill Mrs. Hoffman? He said, I have for years suffered from a singular disease which induces an all-absorbing passion. This passion manifests itself in a desire to kill 
and mutilate the woman who falls in my way. At such times, I am unable to control myself. On my next visit to the tombs, I asked him whether he had been at London at various times during the whole period covered by the Whitechapel murders. Yes, I was, he answered. I asked him whether he could not explain some of the cases on the theory that he had suggested to me, and he, he simply looked at me in reply. The statement, which is a long one, proves conclusively that Feigenbaum was more or less insane, but the evidence of his identity with a notorious Whitechapel criminal is not satisfactory. Really? What, what do you think? I don't know. Well. I mean, he was crazy. Mm. I mean, he could. I mean, a lot of serial killers, you know, either don't tell all of them or they say they've done some that they haven't done. Well, that's what I was thinking. So I had a question. Was this an attempt to buy time or to make himself look infamous versus just being a thief who killed a helpless woman? That's true, too. I'm not sure if he's a suspect for sure, but I do find it very interesting that he was in the areas Mm -hmm. every time there was a murder. That he knew that area well, and that he moves to America, so the killings stop, mm-hmm. and then in nineteen or eighteen ninety four he kills again. Now, people, you know, before BTK, thought that serial killers could not stop themselves and they would keep going, and we know that's not true. Oh, I thought that for that they could never be dormant because it's something inside them. Yeah, yeah, I thought that too. So I think he's a good suspect for sure. And the California killer where he was dormant for so long, what was him? Um, uh, the Golden State Killer. Yeah, Golden State Killer. Now, I don't know if it was him. I mean, even though he was in the area, I mean, he was with a bar at bars with fellows. And, you know, so I don't know. I'd be curious well, as to his alibi. Well, he looked from his picture or, that he you know, had money. I mean, he was obviously yeah, military. Yeah. He had an intelligence. It, it'd be curious to see, though, at the time of the murders, if he was around the area. He was. I That's mean, what I said. With the, I know, but with, was he in the bar drinking with his buddies? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? That's what they said. Yeah. I know, but I'm saying, was he at the murders at that time? Or was can was they he confirm the he with was the with the bar with the buddies? You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So like I would think they words, would know was he, that. You know, drinking with friends, et cetera. Because if he wasn't and he disappeared and they had people then saying he did, then yeah. they would have arrested him, you would think. Well, yeah, that's true, too. But I, mean, I don't know how it could police be a was back then. I mean, we've got the lipstick killer where they tortured well, him to get that conviction. So I don't know. I don't know how police would have done it. Mm. Okay. The next suspect I mm-hmm. want you to look up is Aaron Kosminski. It's A-A. I've got to get there. Uh-huh. Aaron with the A. A-A-R-O-N. Mm-hmm. And then K-O-S-M-I. N I Ski. Now, okay. he was born in either 1864 or 1865 in Russia. It says 1865. In well, Poland. there's there's yeah. a there's a discrepancy though. So oh. he settled in London in the early 1880s, and he was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he looks like an average man, right? And there's that picture it shows of the police mm-hmm. that you had up there. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was Jewish. He lived and worked as a hairdresser in Whitechapel during the murders. So he was a hairdresser there. Which for a man back then, probably. Well, like barbers, maybe. Well, yeah. I know, but he's in Whitechapel. Yeah, so, true, you know, true. he was probably the highest on the list of suspects for the police. He had, quote, a very strong hatred of women. 
Wow. He had homicidal tendencies, and he was sent to an asylum in 1889. Wonder why the hatred for women. Mother, some, girlfriend. Some say that he died shortly, and others say that after, and others say that he died in 1919. The problem is the police never gave his first name. So no one knew his first name until almost a century after. Oh. So the only Kosmaniski in the asylum was discovered, you know, a hundred years later. And it appears that he was institutionalized after threatening his sister with a knife. He was at the Colney Hatch Lunatic Asylum first, and then he was transferred to Leavesden Asylum. It's kind of confusing, though, because, again, we might be talking about two different mm-hmm. men. One that either died right after the murders or one that was put in the asylum and died later. So this is from Wikipedia, which isn't always the most reliable, but it says in London, I'm just going to call him Aaron because it's right. <laughs> really hard to say his last name. Yeah. He embarked on a career as a barber in white chapel in an impoverished slum in London's East End that had become home to many Jewish refugees who were fleeing economic hardship in Eastern Europe and uh, pogroms in Tsarist Russia. However, he may have only worked sporadically. It's reported that he had not attempted any kind of work for years by 1891. He possibly relied on his sister's family for financial support and may have lived with them in 1890. And then also in 1891, indicating that his sisters possibly uh, shared responsibility for caring for him, and he just lived between their family homes. On July 12, 1890, he was placed at Mile End Old Town Workhouse due to his worsening mental illness with his brother Wolf certifying the entry and was released three days later. On February 4, 1891, he was returned to the workhouse, possibly by the police, and on February 7th, he was transferred to the Colney Hatch Lunatic Asylum. A witness to the certification of his entry recorded his name as Jacob, or recorded, the witness was recorded as Jacob Cohen, gave some basic background information and stated that Aaron had threatened his sister with a knife. It is unclear whether that meant Kosmaniski's uh, sister or Cohen's uh-huh. sister, because Cohen's the one that's admitting him, okay? So they right. don't know which one. Aaron remained at the uh, Colony Hatch Lunatic Asylum for the next three years until he was admitted in uh, April 9th, 1894 to Levenston Asylum. Case notes indicate they had been ill since at least 1885. His insanity took the form of auditory hallucinations, a paranoid fear being fed by other people that drove him to pick up and eat food dropped his litter and a refusal to wash or bathe. He sounds like a schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. The cause of his insanity was recorded as self-abuse, which is thought to be a euphemism for masturbation. Mm-hmm. His poor diet seems to have kept him in an emaciated state for years. His low weight was recorded in the asylum case notes. By February 1919, he only weighed 96 pounds, and he died the following month at age 53. I'm not feeling it. I think that he Not was by the a suspect. And, is, yeah. That's what I was going to say. The letter. I go back to the letter. That's what no. I did. Uh-uh. If the two letters were from the killer and this guy spoke broken English, then he couldn't have been Jack the Ripper. No. So I think also he might have been too crazy. I, I, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah. that it, cra- That's crazy. It, the letters don't say crazy, crazy. Mm-mm. No. Killer. Smart killer. 
not crazy crazy. I don't I don't like that one for it. I think at the all. only reason he was picked as a suspect is because he was crazy and back in that day they thought the only person who could do this crime was someone that was, you know, mm-hmm. a drooling lunatic. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, we might have too, but now they connect so much forensic, um, like letter writing mm-hmm. connected to insanity. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and I just don't feel it there. Mm-mm. Here's what I'm wondering. So he was Jewish. Right. Whitechapel was a home to many Jewish refugees. There was graffiti that was on Golston Street that said, the Jews, spelled J-U-W-E-S, are the men that will not be blamed for nothing. There was also a blood-stained apron in the archway close to the message that led to the name Leather Apron for the killer. So that's why Jack the Ripper thought that was funny. I thought it was funny. I think it was actually a coincidence that the I do. Leather Apron was there, but the graffiti might have been an attempt to let everyone know that the Jews had nothing to do with these killings, especially if they came from pogroms. So they might have been afraid... You know what I mean? That they were going to start getting persecuted in England at, in Whitechapel, and they were afraid people would think a Jewish person did the murder. So I'm wondering if Aaron was a suspect because he was, excuse me, number one, he was crazy. Number two, he's Jewish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm not feeling it for Jack the Ripper. That He's Jack the Ripper. Okay, so we're almost done, and we're going to finish up with some DNA, which I had no idea. The DNA? Mm-hmm. Wow. So... There's rumors, and I'm curious what you think on this as well. Can you look up um, Francis mm-hmm. Craig? So Francis and then mm-hmm. C-R-A-I-G. He was another suspect that we'll get to in a second, but I want, I want you to have him up. Um, so that was Mary Jane Kelly's husband, if he comes up. And... Mm-hmm. They think that he found out that she was a sex worker and he wanted to to, to disguise his involvement in killing her with killing others. So that was another suspect. I think that's dumb. I don't think it was a jealous husband and then he's going to slash people and remove all of their inside parts and mutilate them so horrifically just because his wife was a sex worker. Okay, so that's him up there. Yeah, so I think that's a dumb suspect actually, but... Uh, well, by what you just said, I I agree. Can you look up? Um, yeah, because I want to show you a picture. Catherine C A T H E R I N E, and mm-hmm. then Edows E D D O W E S, and then after put silk shawl. Silk shawl. Mm-hmm. S H A W L. Okay, so if it comes up, let me know. But there's okay. been rumors that DNA proves Aaron committed the crimes. Mm. Supposedly, a fine silk shawl belonging to Catherine Edows was tested for DNA. And that on the shawl, shawl there was both semen and blood that belonged to Aaron Kuzmaniski. Yeah, there it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it proved, they, they say it proves that it belonged to him and also Edows through ancestry DNA, which we know they're able to trace DNA to leave living records to get killers to this day. In fact, I think that's how John Bonet's killer is going to be oh, yeah. caught. See, there yeah. she is, and there he is. Yeah. So they think that on that shawl, they have proof. Okay. Hmm. The problem is number one, the chain of custody. 
Some say it was found next to the body of Catherine, but there's no police report or the crime scene drawings, which they would draw out, right, for right. police record of a shawl. So that's the first problem I have with it. Supposedly, an acting sergeant, Amos Simpson, took the shawl from the crime scene, and then it came to be in the possession of his family throughout the generations until it was sold in 2007 to amateur sleuth Russell Edwards. The problem... Four, four point five million. Wow. The problem is that Simpson didn't work for the police station that would have investigated the murder. He worked for Scotland Yard, and the Edals case was being investigated by the City of London Police. The genetic analysis was also unconvincing because it had been handled by countless people over the years, and even the suspect and victim's descendants were in presence of the shawl. So if they breathed anywhere near that shawl, their DNA would be on it. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. But also, you don't know how they handled evidence back then the what, researchers are vague de- about how they did the right. analysis their methods etc exactly yeah you could pile it all together on different scenes so mm-hmm. no well not only that but the researchers wouldn't describe their process well, which that's is true too. unusual for a scientific work yeah but they wouldn't describe their process they were very vague about it mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i don't think that aaron did it i don't either so I'm out all three so far. And I don't think the DNA proves anything. No, no. So uh-huh. Walter Sickert is a, sus- a suspect that author Patricia Cornwell pinpointed as a real Jack the Ripper and even claimed to have found some DNA evidence, mitochondrial, on several of the letters. But it seems that evidence wasn't enough to convince experts. He was born in Munich in 1860 and immigrated with his family to London in 1869. He was known for uh, painting prostitutes, and some believe he inserted clues and symbols in his art about the murder. Oh. Some believe he was impotent due to several surgeries on his penis, and that may be why he started killing. He died in 1942. Yeah, but he he hated women. Oh, I don't know if Walter Sickert wouldn't hated he, women. Wouldn't you have to hate women? I mean... Well, I don't know. Probably. But I mean, it doesn't say that Walter did. Well, it just true. says that he painted prostitutes i see some of his art i am about to die name? from heat exhaustion in here i mean i don't know what's his last name again uh sickert s-i-c-k-e-r-t i want to see the paintings so there have been dozens and dozens of suspects he looks like jack the ripper he some, does look like a jack the ripper some that you'd are like imagine. quite ridiculous i do not believe that he had to be a butcher or a doctor no he did have to have some education. It's one of his paintings. Wow. It looks like that murder scene of the last victim, doesn't it? It does. Wow. Um, let's see. He did have to have some education to write the letters. One witness that might have seen him said that he dressed well, and he had to appear sane and even safe for the women to go with him. Like, you know, the last victim, she was laughing with them. He couldn't have been foaming at the mouth. No. He couldn't have been a monster. I think he looked like an average man, and I also believe he worked for a living. He's a good painter, but just that one painting, I mean. It looks like the last murder. It does, murder. Mm-hmm. like the last victim or mm-hmm. murder. So if there's any DNA evidence, it wouldn't surprise me if they're going to be able to finally trace the killer's DNA 
and get pretty darn close, but I don't know if they'll ever be able to solve it. Uh, I'm not sure if it's possible this long because the way that ancestry DNA works is they go through the family line, right? Right. And then if they're still alive or if they, whatever, they can get the DNA to make sure that's a killer and blah, blah, blah. And I just don't know if an ancestry DNA person could even get close enough. Like say there's three that could be the suspect. How would we know which one? But if they're able to trace down like records and things like that, we might be able then to, you might be able to get yeah. close. Yeah, It depends on good records, how they kept records. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It is. That's the one case I wish could be solved in my lifetime. Now, I mean, it could be that none of the suspects did it. Yeah, I don't think any of them did. I would did, say my except, favorite is Carl, actually. Yeah, I, I'm thinking he might have been. He's He is the top of the list for me. Aaron, no. No. Um, but there were rumors that H.H. H. Holmes, the first American serial killer, was actually Jack the Ripper. But like I said at the beginning, I don't buy that either because he was much more devoted and sophisticated with his murders. He didn't slash and disembowel. He also built an entire house just to kill. So that leaves the question... Why did the murder stop? What do you think? And see, I don't. I don't think either of those, any three, were the murder. Is that good? You see, my daiquiri is gone, but I did not have to do the slurping for some reason. Reason, my daughter feels necessary in the middle of the podcast. Maybe in the middle of my statements or thoughts that she has to slurp her drink till it's gone so i'll just say if you've listened so far that's that's what happened what i don't think they were either any of those three were the killers at all i'm thinking he either died a sudden death Mm -hmm. or he moved to a different country but if he moved to a different country there would have been killers killings there and no, they haven't connected him with any or anybody with him. And he was too evil and sadistic, mm. I think, to stop. I do too. And arrogant. Like he would have had to play around with police. You know what I mean? And you know, back then, uh, people didn't live as long as they do now. Right. So, yeah, I don't think, I don't think any of those three that you. And I, I don't think Holmes was either. No, which that's all. our next case. Yeah. But isn't it interesting how all of these kind of go like they it's almost like they intertwine, you know, the Black Dahlia. They thought mm-hmm. the lipstick killer might have killed her. You've got Jack the Ripper and they think H.H. Holmes, H. H. Holmes yeah. was with him. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. And I think it's actually a sign of those times where you have a horrific killing and you think that. Oh, then that must have been done by the same person who killed this person, even though they're in completely different states. And I think he died. The murders are different. I'm wondering if he died too. Like maybe he got um, ran over by a carriage. And I don't killed, or maybe he, I don't think he was executed. I don't think he was in a a sane asylum. I, I keep going back to the letter. Mm-hmm. It was just too educated, yeah, articulate, yeah, and clear, yeah, and taunting. And he loved the publicity mm-hmm. and the letter stopped the murder stopped mm-hmm. yeah yeah hopefully he got killed that would be right. my my thoughts which typically sure he doesn't think like that with regular people so don't be alarmed we don't think and hope people are dead just well, she might killers but, 
Well, yeah, killers for sure. You know, like the one that killed those two little girls, the, oh. the Ken and Barbie killers. Yeah, we're going to need to do probably like a, a, a mid-mid. I want to see that Because before you they leave. are, I mean, when you watch what they did, it's like you guys deserve to be like killed over and over. You know, I just heard about them and I looked it up, I don't know, a month or so ago. And they look, first of all, not like Ken and Barbie. But they're pretty. But they're very handsome. pretty people. When mm-hmm. you have pretty people that are killers, it's fascinating to people. Mm-hmm. You yep. know? So, okay, cool. Yeah, I don't like them. We'll have to do that case. Okay. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? Yeah.